0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. I want to invite you to support a very special Kickstarter. 1982, Greatest Geek Year Ever from producers Mark A. Altman, Roger Lay, and Thomas Vitale. 1982, Greatest Geek Year Ever. You're probably asking why. Well, I got Darren Doctorman here with me to tell us about some of the great films. Now, I want you to guess some of the films that came out that year. I'm going to give you a hint. Still, old, friend.
1: Uh,
0: Tron. No. <laughs> God, dude, that was one of the films. Oh. But that's not the one I'm talking about. Okay, you managed to kill just about everyone else. But like a poor marksman, you keep on missing the target. Uh, Conan the Barbarian. No, that also came out the same year. Oh, God, you've never listened to me before, Crom. Uh, okay, okay, you're making this really, really difficult. I don't have any quotes from Time Rider, the uh, Adventures of Lyle Swan. What about this? Um, you're not a replicant.
1: Oh, hmm.
0: I came across a with- turtle on a road. You turned it over. Okay, uh, that's The Thing. No! It's a Blade <laughs> Runner! Oh, yeah, right. It came out in 1982. But The Thing did come out in 1982. And as we all learned, man is the warmest place to hide. <laughs> hey, have you ever wondered what it's like to put out fire with gasoline? I have not. Do you know what movie that's from? The great David Bowie sang the song.
2: Oh, it's... Uh... I have no idea. Cat people. Oh,
0: cat people. Right. Cat people. Paul Schrader's remake of cat people. Kinski, Exactly. Yeah. And 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 John Hurd and Malcolm McDowell, who fans of this podcast may know played Sauron. Sauron. You mean Sauron? <laughs> yeah, that's who I mean. <laughs> he played Sauron, the Lord of okay, the Okay, ranks. let me <laughs> okay. You, you, you know. Okay, let me let me let me try a few more because you're not doing very good at this. Okay. This house has many hearts.
2: Oh, that's uh, that has to be Star Trek Two.
0: No, that's Poltergeist. <laughs> God, I thought you were a Trek expert. Well, I there am. No line like that in Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. I I'm pretty sure there is. It's it's when the it's when Savick comes out of the uh, turbo lift and says, "This house is clean." Okay, I got I got one last <laughs> one because I don't I don't have anything from the Atomic Cafe or, or missing. Oh, I or, have something or... from the Atomic Cafe: Duck and yeah. Cover. Ducking cover. That's true. Very good. That also came out in 1982. And I'm going to give you one last thing. Okay. Okay. Silver Shamrock. Silver Shamrock. Oh, uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial. Oh, it's Halloween 3, Season <laughs> of the Witch. Oh, my God. Gertie, you could do better at this than you can. This, you know, is I, this is terrible. Mark, I'm, this I'm pulling your leg. I, I knew all of these. I just wanted to have a little bit of fun because all of these movies came out in 1982, the greatest geek year ever. Indeed they did. And if you want to learn all that is learnable, know all that is knowable in 1982 and have a great time doing it, check out our documentary on Kickstarter starting June 4th, the anniversary of Star Trek II and Poltergeist release through the end of June and support this Kickstarter I hope you'll join me in making this really special documentary. I fell in love with the movies in 1982. I want to celebrate it, and I hope you'll help us do that by supporting 1982 Greatest Geek Year Ever with an exclusive logo from Mike Akuda.
1: If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman of the 430 Movie. I'm here with... Steve Melching. Darren Dockerman. Ashley Miller. You know, and if you want to know what Ashley's pick out of the box is, you owe it to yourself to watch the 430 movie live you should see the expressions the live only on way tape. to understand the kinds of faces we're making when Ashley does Wednesday right. is to watch us on Electric Now it's one thing to hear us but you can't <laughs> see the expressions on our face you can't hear disbelief yeah.
2: coming <laughs> right. soon our new podcast Ashley does Wednesday <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ash Wednesday Ash Wednesday Ash
0: mm. Wednesday Wednesday
1: And welcome to the Cartoon Barroom, where we invite experts and industry professionals to pull up a stool and talk about all things animation. I am your co-host, Stephen Melching, and joining me, as always, is your congenial co-host and mine, Ashley Edward Miller. How you doing, Ashley? I'm great, man. Let me let me just tell you about my life.
2: Um, I am I am packing up all of my stuff. I'm packing up all of my nerd stuff, and I'm starting to realize how much nerd stuff. I've got,
1: right? Like it's, things. It's either. amazing how that stuff can compress and find a place to live in a house for years and you forget that it's there.
2: Totally. And then one day you turn around and boom, there it is. Right. Like and I just, you know, I, I took my my eleven year old out for a for a walk down to the local comic book store because we needed to get like long boxes and all this other crap. And I was—I found myself explaining to him, like how I was a wheeler and dealer when I was his age, like how I funded my comic book habit by, like, by getting a bunch of orders from all of my friends so I could order wholesale off of Diamond, what? and then use the profit to pay for my comics.
1: Wow! Yeah, I am impressed. <laughs> Thank you. And here I was trying to like mow lawns. <laughs> <laughs> Never occurred to me to go anything. wholesale. <laughs> like, I'll just I'll just order wholesale and, and uh, fund my collection from the profits. What, what if we just, you know,
2: we old and dear when we're 12 years old? It was like, it was a, probably the strangest, you're a disappointment to me, son, speech like I, I think anybody's ever given. Yeah. <laughs> right? Why aren't you ripping off your friends, dude? What are you thinking? That's um, some Tom Sawyer level shit right there. Damn right it is. You know, okay, so uh, we're not here to talk about my comic book collection um, or my business acumen. Um, We're here to talk about freaking cartoons uh, that we love and the people who make them. Um, and our guest tonight has done a lot of stuff. It's amazing, Steve. The, the people that you know, like the sheer breadth of the experiences that they've had and the things that they work on, um, you know, our guest uh, tonight is Nicole Dubuque. Who has worked on multiple Star Wars shows? She worked on Rebels. She worked on Forces of Destiny. Um, she worked on my five-year-old's favorite show, especially right now for whatever reason, The Octonauts. I mean, come on! If I told her that I was here, you know, I'm talking to somebody who worked in The Octonauts, they'd flip out. Um, the Rocketeer, right? Which is awesome. Uh, and Pacific Rim: The Black. I mean, and not to be forgotten, My Little Pony: Friendship my little of Magic. Pony. Yes. Right. Come <laughs> on, My Little Pony. There are bronies everywhere. That's gonna like that is so gonna spike our downloads, right? I think that's what we need to
1: lead with. French. Well, that and, and that and like Justice League. Like yeah. Justice League to this day has hardcore fans. It was a great show, uh, and of course, multiple Transformer shows. I mean, our yeah. guest Nicole has got an incredible resume. And, and before that, she was an actor, and we may talk about that a little bit. And so, Nicole, welcome to the Cartoon Barroom.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much. I was going to say maybe we could sing like a little creature report later for the Octonauts yeah. fans out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, something I still do, make up random creature there reports. Are the voices. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks yeah. for having me on. It's great to talk to you guys.
1: Yeah. Right on. So, uh, the question, as always, is what are you drinking? Okay.
3: What are you having? What are you having tonight? Uh, today I am having a Pinot Noir. Can you see it? From the Willamette yes. Valley. Um, and I from do the what Valley?
1: Pretty,
3: from the Willamette Valley. Oh, Willamette. I always say it wrong. Willamette. It either rhymes with damn it or vomit. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I would have, I personally would also be struggling with it. And you know what? I'm going to give you whatever you think it is, is probably right. Mm-hmm.
3: And as I keep drinking, I'm sure my pronunciation will get even better. So there's that. Um, how about that. you gentlemen? What are you enjoying tonight?
2: Well, I'm having my my usual, uh, my Grey Goose Martini, uh, very dry, dirty, like someone's grandpa. Uh, and uh, you know, it, it gets me through the night, sometimes through the week or the month, uh. COVID-19. Steve, how are you doing?
1: I am doing good. And I am, I am having the last of my Johnny Walker Blue uh, Ooh, that bottle is now Dead Soldier, but I'm I'm drinking the Johnny Walker Blue eh. in this beautiful I, I, crystal Arnolf, uh, Arnolfo Di Cambrio Blade Runner glass. That's fantastic. So it's that, going out in style. I like that, it. That Nicole got for me for Christmas. Aww. And I've always wanted one of these glasses. I'm going to enjoy this, uh, this immensely great scotch in this fine crystal glass. I, I'm afraid I won't have blood artfully dripping from my, my mouth into the, into the glass. Uh, well, I mean, we'll
3: see how the evening goes. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Cheers. Cheers. Clanky clanky.
1: Yes. Uh, cheers. Yes. Mm, ooh, that's good scotch.
2: That's good bass. Sorry, I just <laughs> sat in a live flashback. The bass
3: the bass? I'm, I haven't thought about that in forever. Right. I haven't needed to take apart any bass, but, uh,
1: yeah. Oh, Dan Aykroyd. So we're here to talk about cartoons. Uh, Nicole, what, what were some of the shows that you liked watching as a child? I assume you liked watching cartoons as a kid. What were some of your favorites?
3: Um, I'm really excited we're talking about this, because I feel like you and I have not had this conversation, and we've had many we nerd conversations, so this is exciting. Um, I had a few like very specific shows that were mine. The Real Ghostbusters was Mm -hmm. one of my shows. And I loved it. And I dressed up as Egon for Halloween one year and my dad had to build a proton pack. It was a whole Oh, nice. Um, And then Thundercats also really big in the rotation for me uh, growing up. Before that, He-Man, I think a little bit, but not to the same extent as Thundercats. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, aging up into the Disney afternoon after that, and uh, of course Gargoyles. And then, uh, yeah, maybe Into the Tick and then into the Batman Superman adventures. So basically, I never stopped watching cartoons sure. is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Glide path uh, through nerddom. <laughs>
3: yep, exactly. So that's kind of my journey and the way it wins. Um, How about
2: you guys? Oh, I mean, I was a Star Blazers guy, like, through and through. Star Blazers, Voltron. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved, like, the filmation was It was Filmations, Flash Gordon.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um
2: that all the planets like I loved all those uh, those anime imports. That was my jam. Like when I was a kid,
1: mm-hmm. that was I was all about that stuff. Nice. Yeah, that was mine too. And and the Star Trek animated series. We mm-hmm. just did a special report on that uh, last time. Um, that was a big one. And of course, I mean, the uh, the classic Warner Brothers Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah, yeah. I just adore. I loved you know the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour every Saturday morning. That was appointment television for me. Sure. Uh, it was always that great sense of discovery, like, which ones are going to be on today? Like, oh, Robin Hood Daffy, I love that one. Or, great. you know, yep. they're so great uh, and still great. I mean, you, you can watch them all on uh, HBO Max now and they're beautifully restored. There's like, I don't know, there's hundreds of them on there. It's incredible. It's incredible. I think what they need though is a is a random shuffle feature on the HBO Max oh, for the WikiToons. Yeah. Yeah. So you just hit that and then you get that 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 surprise, like what's it gonna be?
2: You don't no. know. It could be Duck Dodgers in the twenty-fourth and one half century.
1: <laughs> you don't know.
2: It could be like what's 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 the night at the opera one? Oh
1: oh um oh my what's well, opera doc? Yeah. Oh. What's opera doc?
3: <laughs> right. That's so funny that now we're trying to use that to simulate broadcast television. We have to like figure out a way to make things on demand. Seem right. It's like, if only uh, they could find a way to give us
2: like the commercials from then, everything would be perfect. Occasionally like Joe giving us one to grow on or the more, you know, or, you know, that's half the battle or Our, whatever the hell it was.
3: You and, know, um, I gotta say this is a, a story that I feel like is kind of, you know, they say like, you see at that moment in childhood is like, oh, that's who you are as an adult. So. My parents actually didn't let me watch television, um, but we had this pact that on Saturday morning I could get up and watch cartoons if I was quiet and they could sleep in. So it was kind of like that, you know, they didn't know that I was watching TV, but they did. And, you know, I let them sleep. So the night before, I would take the TV guide and a highlighter and I would see what was on hour by hour, half hour by half hour and decide if the new episode of this show was going to be better than a repeat that I really liked of this show. And so these decisions (sighs) were made. (laughs) You know, <laughs> so yeah, like, do you
1: yeah. remember when the networks would do their primetime special about what's going to be on Saturday mornings yeah. this fall? I used to love those. they oh, you are know, cool. be like, oh, what's going to be on NBC this fall? They'd have clips. Yeah. Like, oh my god, Gilligan's Planet? Yeah!
2: <laughs> hey, little buddy! <laughs>
1: and oh there, was like, there was some weird shows, man. When I was growing up in the, uh, in the 80s. There were some weird cartoons, man. Yeah. Like Gilligan's Planet, there was that there was a Laverne and Shirley in the army. Yeah, so like, Laverne and was Shirley weird. for like, some reason, or in the private Benjamin. That pitch or something? Go. I, and <laughs> for some reason, their drill sergeant was a pig, like mm-hmm. an actual pig. I like mean. What's happening? <laughs> right. It was like, hey,
2: Private Benjamin is big, and Laverne and Shirley is big. Do you remember they love Laverne and Shirley? Oh my god. Oh. They told, and especially like if, you know the Lenny and Squiggy, if like they were, Squiggy. But I, there was um, there was one that was like I don't know. It didn't have a lot of episodes, but I loved it. It was called The Adventures of Waldo Kitty. Oh,
1: yeah. And it was oh, like my God. a
2: house cat. It was live action. They'd film the house cat, but he would have like these fantasies, right? So it's uh-huh. you know, like Walter Mitty. So he was the Lone Ranger. He was Batman. He was Tarzan. Yeah. He was all of these things. I loved that show. He had a great
3: theme song, you know? That's amazing. This uh, reminds me also of like Don Coyote and Sancho Panda. Did you ever see that? Because it feels like it's... <laughs> No,
2: but that sounds amazing. That sounds like that is like would have been totally relevant to my interests.
3: <laughs> totally. <laughs> I mean, you... when they would do those specials, right? I'd be watching it and like I'd be deciding about the merits of these shows. I'm like, I think mm-hmm. I think that Kissy Fur might have a good hook. I think I'm going to have to watch that.
1: <laughs> these are no. important decisions you have to make as a
3: kid. Right, right. Totally. And now I love have... that
1: you made it that you went through your uh, your TV guide with a highlighter yeah. and figured it out. <laughs> I right. just flipped channels. I just I just turned the dial, like, oh, what's on?
3: Right, I was still well,
1: I just kind of, I
2: read, I thought Not... about it. I didn't take the highlighter step, that's right? right? It was like, it was just always just kind of, um, I don't know, man. It was, it was important to me to make sure that I was optimizing my time. Mm-hmm. But I just, it never occurred to me to actually get that organized. I just sort of knew that organized, maybe organization would be good. You know, but that's why I have an assistant now.
1: Right? <laughs> well, the networks would help you out too because they do those full page ads in the TV guide and like have little graphics and lay out their whole morning lineup so you could kind of mm-hmm. compare mm-hmm. and contrast. Exactly. Cross-reference to like the little blurb about it. Totally. Yeah. And, and now
2: that doesn't happen. Now yeah. it's like my kids are, you know, they, they they binge everything. So if they are, and it was, this happened today, uh, binging the Octonauts, it's mm-hmm. daddy, Daddy, can you please turn on the Octonauts? Daddy, Daddy, can you please turn on the Octonauts exactly where we left off? Daddy, <laughs> Daddy, are you turning it on? Daddy, is this exactly where we left off? And I'm like, look, you little prick. Netflix remembers, okay? You're so spoiled. When I was your age, I didn't know what Octonauts I was getting. I got like one episode a week. Maybe, mm-hmm. unless it was in syndication. Then I would get one episode a day. And you're sitting here like, exactly where I left off. Okay, it's like, I just
1: sometimes wonder if they value it
2: right. in the same
1: way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's different. Like if you were five minutes late getting your butt in front of the TV set, you didn't see those five minutes. They were gone. Like Forever. maybe sometimes. sometime in the future, you mm-hmm. would see those five minutes, mm-hmm.
2: but
3: maybe not. You might never see it. That's right. You couldn't know HBO yeah. Max
1: was coming. <laughs> uh,
3: so forget continuity, man. I mean, like, you know, you had episodes out of order. I don't know what's happening, but That's okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, I didn't understand the, the Smurf episode arc, episode arc of- at all, you know? Come on. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's like the big fight with Gargamel at the end of the season. I just was like, I don't know where that came from, <laughs> how they set that up. Totally <laughs> <underrated>. Um <laughs> Right? Oh, uh, I mean, look, there's a, 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 there's a little part of us that kind of found ourselves in this business doing this thing because when we were those kids watching those shows, busting out the highlighters or not, turning the channel randomly or just thinking about it and, you know, wishing you had an assistant, you know, there was something that stuck with us. There was like, there is some job we got that was like, yeah, this is it. Like, this is the shit, right? This is, this is the thing that I wanted to do. I'm here. I've arrived. I'm on top of the hill. So Nicole, for you, like what was that, what was that moment? What was that show? Right. Where you're like, yeah, like 12 year old me is down. 12 year old me is like high five
1: over me.
3: That is so interesting. Um, you mean as far as like what was the show where I knew I was gonna do this writing thing for life? I mean like the thing that would have most excited
2: you as a kid, but you're like oh yeah, like now yeah. I'm
3: saying like you're doing this, holy cow. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, I think Revels is pretty amazing like that. I mean, that's just that whole experience was just mm-hmm. insane. I want to go back and be like, young Nicole, you have a future, let me tell you. Um mm-hmm. You're so going to be flown
1: by Lucasfilm up to Skywalker Ranch where they will put you up in the inn and you'll be in this beautiful surroundings and you'll get up in the morning and go for a run on the grounds of George Lucas's fabled Skywalker Ranch. And, yeah, you'll and then go we'll go the into a meeting ranch. and talk about Star Wars and get paid for
3: it. For paid for it. And there's
1: lunch. And there's lunch. There's lunch.
3: <laughs> wow. So yeah, that is, um, and also just there's moments when you get to write those characters, and this is kind of a slightly older thing, but you know Steve knows this that um, I loved the the Thrawn novels, and so when I got to write for him, it was just like oh my gosh, you know I'd I'd spent brain power already generating stories as a kid, well, okay, as a high schooler, thinking about this character, and then now I was doing it, and so right, so you got to be great. like yeah, finally I'm I'm making this mofo canon. I mean, I'm basically a Jedi at this point, is what
2: I was saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's quite a thing. I mean, now, how long How long had you been writing before you kind of, you got to that point?
3: To get to the, that show? Yeah. Uh, when was that, Steve? Was that 2016? 15, 16? 16, something like, like that. Like five or six years ago. So, uh, yeah, I'd been doing this for about 14 years. Wow. Yeah. And then it all paid off. That's it right? I did. I mean, you know how it is. Like, every show that you work on is special in its own way, but mm-hmm. yeah, there is a certain, like, mm, flare in your heart, I guess, when you get to go revisit that special stuff from your childhood.
2: Yeah, for sure. How um, about you? I don't know, man. Uh, I think uh, I think for me it was working on uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. It was working on Terminator, even though, like, I didn't. You know what? I did see the Terminator when I was a kid. I wasn't supposed to see the Terminator when I was a kid, <laughs> but I did see it. <laughs> There's a big killer robot. I was down. I didn't understand the whole Linda Hamilton, Michael Bean thing. It's whatever. But big killer robot, totally got that. Totally got that. That was me. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, it's a it's a wacky, weird business. And I think anima- animation writing like, in particular is kind of an interesting business. It was one that, you know, I mean, I just sort of mentioned working on, on Sarah Connor. Okay, so that's a 22 episode order. And you're producing it over, you know, a year, and that's your life. That's what you do. But, you know, you look at the difference between the IMDB page of, you know, somebody who works in live action and somebody who works in animation. And you guys, right? Like, I shouldn't say you guys, I guess it's us, right? But when you're like, when animation is your jam, like when it's your thing, right? And you're not just some dilettante a-hole like me. um, You know, it, like, you do a lot of wandering between shows, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that it seems like that has to be hard to try to keep the voices of all those different shows kind of present in your head and be writing all those different shows, perhaps at the same time, right? Because you guys would do like multiple shows a year,
3: right? Yeah, sometimes, and uh, it can be hard. I think like as you get older, it becomes, you know, every time you take a new mythos in your brain, it's it harder cuz you got to push out some old stuff so yeah how about you Steve? like how's that for you oh
1: gosh yeah for sure i mean you know animation just doesn't you know it just doesn't pay the same as live action so you're always hustling a little more i think um and and just out of necessity you're you're often forced to juggle two or even three shows at the same time as, as a freelance writer uh if you're if you're lucky enough to get onto you know, a staff or a producing position, then you can focus more on one show. But but even then, you know, there have been times when I've had a, I had a good job and then some other show comes in and it's just too cool to say no to. Like, oh, I really want to do that. Yeah, I can squeeze it in.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah. I might Yeah. So, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yep. So, Nicole, you started in the entertainment business in a different – Capacity. You started as an actor.
3: Did when I was three years old. Oh I my started. god! Yeah. So uh, doing commercials and voiceovers, and then uh, I ended up getting a role on a show called Our House with Wilford Brimley and Chad Allen and Shannon Doherty, um, and I was on that for a couple of years. Um, it's really interesting. I don't. It's, it's. It's. I think it was airing in '86 through '88. And it's, it's a strange show. It's an hour-long drama, family drama. But it got to the point in the last uh, season where we ended up going on a trip to Hawaii and there were drug smugglers. And so, I mean, I guess <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure if it was like, let's reinvent the show or if it was like, we just want a trip to Hawaii or jump in the shark. I don't know, but it was awesome uh, to shoot. And then um, after that, I ended up on a show called Major Dad for four seasons. I remember Major Dad very well. Yep, yep. In fact, I think so, I remember uh, our
2: house. I mean, I mean, come on, it's Wilford Brimley. How do you forget Wilford Brimley?
3: Come on, exactly. And um, mm-hmm. for me, it was really cool with Wilford because he kind of became like my adopted grandfather. He was just oh, wow. such a sweet man. He gave me my first puppy. I mean, he was just oh. a really great guy to work with. So- And we just lost yeah. him this last year, didn't we? Oh. We did, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so that's how I grew up on these sets. And for me, um script format has just been part of my life forever. Since so you, you were a
1: little kid, you're reading
3: screenplays. Exactly. Yeah. Or like getting pages before a scene with quick rewrite, you know, um, on on Major Dad. So I did that until I was 14, and then I decided, you know what? I just want to be a normal kid for a while and finished. So you up took that.
1: off your high school years to be a normal yeah. kid, normal yep. high school kid.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then and then you went to
3: you went to university. I did. I went uh, back east. I went to Yale and uh, studied to be a pre-med. Pre-med. So
1: this is fascinating. (laughs) So you you loved cartoons growing up. Yeah. You did commercials and and TV shows as an actor. I did. And then you decide, I'm going to take some time off. And and during that time, did you just decide, like, I want to be a – did you always want to be a doctor? Or was this –
3: yeah. I, it's something I've always like thought about, you know, doctor, veterinarian. Um, and so when I pick fiction nowadays, if the character is a doctor or like time traveling doctor, I'm like, I'm so there. Uh, <laughs> I don't <laughs> but, know if there are any time traveling doctors. Yeah. <laughs> How many, like 14, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. but uh, <laughs> Yeah. So uh, for, for me, I just, I also loved school, you know, so I loved biology and it was fascinating to me and uh, I loved English and You know, so my parents were like, well, you're not going to film school because I really enjoyed making my own movies too for fun with my friends. I'd wrangled them, you know, and use the big old heavy camera. Oh,
1: the big VHS camcorder. (laughs) Yep,
3: that's the one. Exactly. And Like have another battery charging because it lasted like 20 minutes battery life or something. So, so yeah, I really was into that. But my parents were like, you're going to get your BA or BS first and then you can go to master's in film if you want. Okay. Okay. That's why I was like, all right, well, I'm doing the biology thing. I'm doing pre-med. And then, um, you know, I was uh, doing a lab and I had, we had to artificially inseminate mice. That's what we had to do for repro wow. lab. Yeah, that's the alternative. Yeah, right? So <laughs> <laughs> my mouse died on the operating table. Oh, my they- God. Yeah, oh, yeah. no. That's that's we so had sad. you know let it open and we'd inject it and sew it back up. And it was like that scene in 101 Dalmatians when they think the puppy's dead, like they rubbed it and it came back to life and then it died again. And I was just so traumatized at that point. I'm like, that's it. I can't do this on people. If I am this upset about a mouse, I can't do this on people. And so, you know, at that point, I had been doing super well in all my English classes and I thought, hey, I'll just kind of pivot into that. I'll finish the pre-med courses just to have it done. It's there as an option, but I'm going to major in English. And- so that was then kind there of was that. there was that
2: day you dropped a book on a mouse. <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly. And then, so traumatized <laughs> was I. You know, um, but uh, yeah, so life is weird is, I guess, the moral of that story, uh, how you get places, so. Right. And then yeah. how did you wind up in working in animation
2: um, as, a, as a writer, like how did, was that just like the sort of the first gig that came along or was that something that you you sort of set off to like say, you know what, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be in.
3: It's interesting. It actually was the first gig I, that came along, but I had been such a fan of animation and I had worked at Disney online uh, for an internship uh, one summer. And so getting to be around, you know, all the people that were doing the artwork that were telling these stories and it was online. So it wasn't like, you know, actual animation production, but we were using Disney characters. And so that kind of opened my mind to like what this world is in content creation. Um, And when I graduated, a bunch of my friends from Disney Online had founded a dot-com in San Francisco. So they offered me a job. I went there. It had nothing to do with animation and it didn't last Mm -hmm. very long. I I was there for six months before the pink slip party happened, basically. But they were great contacts for me when I moved back down to Los Angeles and said, you know, I think I'm going to try this writing thing. And so they introduced me to a lot of people they knew at Disney and that's actually how i got my my first job was uh, was working for um disney for kim possible
1: kim possible so,
2: so what was that like for you like so you you know you you land on uh kim possible like yeah. the book landing on the mouse uh yeah. right. and i mean it's a is it is a different world right it's it's like there's like people who are like yeah we need you to write something but we need it to sound like this it's not how you would do it it's how I would do it. Like, was that was that tough? Are you going in as a freelancer or were you on staff?
3: I was on staff. I was an apprentice staff writer, which is kind of like the entry level position um, okay. in the animation guild. Yeah, so uh, it was amazing because I was learning from everybody on that job and everyone was so gracious in being a teacher. And so, you know, I, I could shadow the background artists for a day if I wanted to. And, you know, I could sit in and see an animatic if I wanted to, they were very welcoming and it was a good way to get up to speed on animation production. But for the writing part, for me, I've always liked writing in different voices. So I feel like that was not so much the challenge as the deadlines, which was the big challenge, right? Because once that ship is sailing, there's no pulling that back. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yeah. So that was kind of like learning the pace of how production works was a, a useful thing for me. So I was Did there for it. Find- I'm sorry. No, go ahead.
1: You're good. Did you find that your experience as an actor how did that inform your writing did that help you like all that experience reading teleplays and seeing character dialogue and and as an actor having to play different characters and different things did that does that did you find that experience helps you uh, when it comes to writing uh characters in in shows
3: absolutely i think it was vital actually for my career because um you know even like feeling how a joke plays on the page, you know, because I would get to see it written and then see it performed. And so you get a sense of what works and what doesn't and timing and pacing. Um, And then, you know, whenever I write, I feel like I'm acting all the characters on the page. So that's kind of how it translates in my mind. You know, and a lot of times I'll be reading the dialogue and the voices that I'm doing for these characters um, to make sure they scan and sound like an actual conversation. And so you yeah. talked
1: about getting uh, revised pages so you're you're used to being part of a process where a scene is worked on and changed and you, you, do you see that you, you learn how to problem solve or, or how to how to change things and, and get to uh, get to the place you want to be in a scene through rewrites
3: right and I wish I had been able to ask those questions or I guess had that curiosity at the time to speak to the writers and be like you changed this whole thing what was the note what made you do that you know with this fix Um So, but yeah, certainly stuff on the fly too, like losing sets could change something. So we were going to shoot on location. Oh, guess what? Now we're on the back lot, you know, Uh, things like that. That's the
2: nice thing about animation. You never lose the set. That's true. You also never lose the light.
3: (laughs) Sometimes you lose the animation studio. (laughs) And sometimes you want (laughs) to.
1: Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you can't afford the set. So you have to put it on 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 a standing set.
3: That's or a I canyon, you did, you
1: know. Know. Oh, my God. So Nicole is talking about our time on Transformers Prime, which was a big CGI series. And uh, in, in CGI, um, you're really, you know, the, 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 there's a misconception that in animation, you're only limited by your imagination. And oh. I, yes, that's true in a broad sense, but still it's a TV show with a budget and a schedule. And all of those characters and and sets and locations have to be designed by an artist and and they have to be built. And especially in CGI, it's a very expensive time consuming process. So when we got to Transformers Prime, we had a Canyon set that was built for the pilot and we ended up, you know, that was our old standby, a warehouse or a Canyon. And we'd be (laughs) back in this game like, well, maybe we can, you know, Paint the rocks gray. This is a gray canyon, rather than yeah. like a sandstone canyon. <laughs>
3: exactly.
1: Or maybe it's the Can canyon, nighttime. A canyon, yes, canyon <laughs> at night?
3: <laughs> yeah, we were we were trying to decide at the time what would clear legal for the name of this because it transformers you know and then the colon and then whatever it is and so at one point we're like well transformers canyon clearly is what we're. Oh, making. It certainly beats transformers <laughs> colon. Yeah, <Right>? transformers <laughs> colon. Oh, that's the good. <laughs> <laughs> <term.
1: laughs> Autobots. Uh, <laughs>
3: Yeah. Always <laughs> oh. I mean, I mean, keep draft clean. Sorry, go ahead. What? <laughs> no, just, it's like,
2: it seems like that the canyon thing is a thing, right? Because, uh, you know, we had, I think we were talking about this, Steve and Henry Gilroy, what Gilroy was on. And we were talking about Clone Wars and that first episode of Clone Wars. And you basically had a canyon. Like, is that just a thing now? Like in animation with like, with CG, it's like, you know what, guys? Canyon. Is that the, is that the oh. go-to
1: set? And Nicole can speak to this too, I'm sure. The canyons are, are, are cheap, relatively speaking. It's, I think it's easier to sculpt and, and texture rocks than like a natural landscape with grass and, and trees that might be blowing in the wind and stuff. And, and it also allows you to, to obscure the background so you're, maybe you don't have to have as many backgrounds. You don't have to go as deep and you can obscure things. Uh, Nicole, what do you think?
3: Yeah, no, I think that's great. And then also, canyons are usually remote places, so you don't have to have a bunch of extras that you have to populate the scene with. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
1: They're very versatile. Canyons, very versatile. <laughs> that's why
2: Wiley e. Coyote was always chasing the roadrunner through
3: one. You See? can
1: recycle all those backgrounds, all those BGs. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's all about cost. <laughs> it's all about cost. So you, you, you spent some time on Kim Possible, uh, how did you get your next job? Because that's always the big trick. Go you get your you break in and you get an opportunity. And then how do you how do you keep keep it going? How do you keep that momentum going?
3: Right. Well, I mean you mentioned Wiley e. Coyote. It was very much like that, because I was striding off that cliff thinking, hey, I ready to do this and there was no job. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't work for a while and I was starting to get a little bit freaked out. So I was just, you know, contacting everyone I'd met and trying to have lunches with, you know, writers, take them out to coffee, take them out to lunch. And then uh, Comic-Con came across my radar um, and I'd never been before. And I was like, oh, this might be a great way to talk to some people. So ended up heading down to Comic-Con and for me, it was uh, pretty life-changing. I think that's when I met you too, Steve, that year.
1: Um, Impossible. I was I was certainly there.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I met Eugene and Charlotte, and I think you, and then uh, and Dean Stefan. Um, and uh, Dean's daughter loved Kim Possible, and I, you know, kind of struck up a conversation with him about that. And I said, you know what, I got some swag. I'll send you that. And um, he heard that I was a writer looking for work, and he was just getting started on Dragon Tales. And so he said, look, I you know I need a bunch of premises right away. You want to pitch something? And so I did, and that was my second gig. Working on ah. Dragon Tales, and that's when I met Jeff Klein, who, um, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, became instrumental in employing me a lot.
1: <laughs> if you don't know these names, you should. I mean, Dean Stefan was a great guy. I know he was a huge uh, sort of mentor figure for you, Nicole, Absolutely. and and benefactor. And he was for me as well. He was a uh, a, a great writer. He had a tremendous career. I, I worked for him several on several different shows, and was just just a delightful human being. And unfortunately uh he passed away passed away a, a few years ago was it two or three years ago or three years ago yeah, yeah. Believe. um it, but he's uh, he was he was a, a big figure in in the world of animation, especially in the nineties and the 2000s and uh did a ton of shows and was a really great person and and Jeff klein is someone who has also been around since the eighties or nineties and uh has done a ton of big shows and is still still going. In fact, I'm working for him <laughs> now. <laughs> oh, on and, and Nicole brings up a great point. Uh, Comic-Con uh, or any convention is, you know, I, I think that's uh, an important thing when you're trying to have some career longevity. Uh, in this business, if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. And I think Comic-Con or any convention is a great uh, you know, you should take advantage of these opportunities to to show your face and let people know that you're out there and available. For sure. Yeah,
2: for sure. I mean, holy crap. I mean, I think I met you
1: at Comic-Con. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did meet at Comic-Con. So that's
3: the takeaway, is if you want to meet Steve,
1: In you got to go to Comic-Con. <laughs> well, right? I'm no Derek Hughes. I'm, no, no. I'm not the mayor of Comic-Con. Yeah,
3: but see,
2: actually, you know, that's true. But uh, I met Derek at the L.A. comic book convention. Derek was my fault, so there you go. But yeah, that's his. That's his mutant powers. Meeting everybody. There's just some people who are great at meeting people. This is true. And there are some people who are great at being met. And I, th- <laughs> I think Steve is great at being
1: met. Yeah, I, I'm the guy at the uh, the the our our, ma- our big management company. Are you with Gotham Group still, Nicole, or I have you? Mm -hmm. So Gotham Group is a big management company that handles a lot of animation writers, directors, and producers, and they would always throw a big lunch at Comic-Con every year, and I would just get my drink or my food and sit in a booth, and Mm -hmm. I would just stay in that booth, and people would cycle through the booth. I felt like Johnny Carson or something, like, (laughs) who's joining me now? Oh, it's Nicole! How are you doing?
3: (laughs) I'm, just, I'm <laughs> such
1: a social. I'm such a dork. Like I, I'm. I have a hard time like go approaching people and, and being aggressive. So I'm usually just there, and thankfully some people come up to me. But Nicole is much more aggressive in that sense. She's much yeah. more friend much, much friendlier.
3: <laughs> no, no. I, I like you try to hit that buffet right away, but then yeah. and then find seating that's available because
1: <laughs> when there's free food and writers it's like locust swarms and oh. it'll be gone quickly yeah for sure do you so, like uh, had you been to comic con before nicole or any convention before that time
3: i hadn't been to well i had okay so i've been to the gathering of the gargoyles and been to that convention um before this but yeah that was it
1: are you are you have you become a con goer are you a fan of conventions do you like going I-
3: I do like inventions. I go to Comic-Con basically every year. I think I may have missed a year here or there since that time, but mostly I'm there. And then I got to go to a lot of pony conventions after working on My Little Pony, which was fantastic and a lot of fun.
2: A lot of bronies.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the oddest thing to me. I, I mean, I totally get it, but it's like, it's just so strange. It's like that it has like its own name. It's like its own thing. It's like mm-hmm. a cult, the bronies. A fundraising kind <laughs> cult, yes. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like I expect them to have jackets and snap like the Jets and the Sharks, and just they don't. But I so, guess it's friendship is magic. So were you
1: still were you still writing on My Little Pony after the Brony phenomenon emerged, or is it one of those cases where like the show's done, it's out there? You know, we've written the whole series so far and just now it's catching fire? Or or was there a time when you're in the writer's room and you realize like, wow, there's this whole fan base out there that's really into this?
3: Yeah, no, I was kind of on the ponytail end, I think, of that because I came on in season, really at the very very end of season seven. Um, and I think the phenomenon may have started kicking off around season three, but you'll probably want to check me by watching one of <laughs> many documentaries about this. Um, so yeah, toward, toward our section, it was kind of more of like... Um, some people had left the fandom so very not, not so many new people joining the fandom but it was still persisting and i think bronie cons last year was right before the pandemic um so they're still, still
1: going th- the Brony cons are still going mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then so yeah, i some- honestly i got to say the, the bronies that i have met have been super nice yeah. um, and uh, supportive community it seems
1: like a it seems like a fun bunch some fandoms can be challenging. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I, I love the passion of fans and, and I respect that. And, and as a fan myself, you know, I know where they're coming from, but it can be, it can be challenging sometimes when, when fans don't like what you're doing with your fandom. Like I, I think uh, on Transformers Prime, like Transformers fans, those are some hardcore fans and and they seem to fall into different groups. There's the G1 fans and there's the Beast Wars fans and and uh, you do a show like Prime that's maybe a little different, and they don't like it so much at first. Or maybe a Rescue Bots. So you were, you, were, uh, you developed and and essentially the showrunner with Jeff on Rescue Bots. Is that right?
3: Um, so I started, or Brian was actually showrunning oh. um, with Frank Molieri as the director. And then I came on and took over for him in season four. Okay. He went on to a different show. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I honestly, in, in any fandom too, there's also like those fans, you know, there can be like a totally mellow fandom, but there's always a few people that are going to let you know on Twitter that they, that character would not say that, and you should not have done that. And you want to be like, it was a network note. Okay. But. Like my five-year-olds,
2: they have those thoughts and they, they love.
3: <laughs> Actually, they love I was just are yeah. there any notes about Octonauts that maybe I should be taking back to the team? Because uh-huh. let me know.
2: You know, that's a, that's a great question. I bet they do have notes. I feel like <laughs> it. Okay. I feel like they they do have some thoughts on it since like there was like, I guess like the studio changed. Did the animation mm-hmm. house change or something like that with, with, the, with the Octonauts? I can't believe we're having an Octonauts conversation. Okay. That's so great. That I actually don't know, um, but I will okay. find out. <laughs> yeah, there was, there's something that changed and they're like, it just, it's different, daddy. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I can't tell you. It's the Octonauts. <laughs> that's your jam. Right. It's like, you, you just tell you, you later, you give me the creature report and just kind of help me understand it. And, <laughs> and <we> get, <laughs> Yep. Well,
0: so y-
1: this is interesting. we talked about, uh, so you've had a very, uh, v- a very varied career. You've written on shows that are young shows like preschool shows or, or shows that appeal to uh, or targeted at a younger audience. And you've written shows for sort of a, a uh, main middle of the road kid audience, and you've written some more sophisticated shows for for an older audience. Um, do you find uh, how, how do you find it is switching between those different worlds, like uh, writing a pre- going from a preschool show to something like Justice League?
3: Sure, I mean like they all just have different rule sets, basically. You know, I mean if you're just approaching it from the characters and you're working within a different rule set, then you know writing is writing. Um, but I think that what's nice about being able to jump between those areas is that it stops you from getting burnt out and and creatively tapped Um, because you may have given all you have to give in preschool and then you get, you know, a a show where you're blowing someone's head off and you're (laughs) like, oh, this is so different and freeing. And then you're like, oh, I feel icky now. I want to go right where people hug and make friends. So it's, you know, I think it, it helps to kind of keep that creativity going.
1: Scratch is a different itch. Scratch is a different itch. You're like, oh, I really want to. I really want to write something, you know, more intense and violent or or, or scary
3: villain,
1: yeah. And then maybe I just want to write something funny Mm
3: -hmm.
1: with fun characters. I just want to write jokes and puns and songs.
2: Yeah, I just sort of do all of that like in one show. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just I can't show my kids anything that I've done. (laughs) I just. can't watch it. It's just, which I kind of regret, even though I know that they would love my fart jokes. (laughs) Uh, Just, you know, very disappointing. Um, Now, speaking of scratching different itches, now your, your IMDB seems to indicate that you have written for yourself as a voice actor. I have, in fact, yes. So is that weird, right? Like kind of getting into the booth and you're kind of giving the read And the and the voice director is like, can you like you know, can you do it without the comma? Can you put a question mark at the end of it? Like, are you just thinking like, look, bitch? I
1: didn't didn't write
2: it that way. I didn't write it
1: that
3: way. I'm going to say it the way I hear it. Okay. (laughs) These are
1: my words. How dare
3: you sabotage? And and matters. Yes. (laughs) Oh God. no, I I will absolutely happily take the voice direction. Um, <laughs> and, and then you always also,
1: even know if you're going to be playing a character when you're when you're writing uh, an episode and and you go out front you do you audition for the role and you kind of like wow I wrote an episode of that character and now I'm playing it.
3: Yeah, yeah. Or like I got cast. Um, I think it was on Young Justice. I think uh, Greg cast me, and then I had a, a show come up that I was writing for that character, and I'm like, well. Guess who gets all the lines in this episode? No, not really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was kind of kind of trippy to think like, oh yeah, well, at least I know how to do that line. Right. So, it's like, it's, you,
2: it's even though it does you no good to be yep. off book in animation, you yep. can be off book.
3: Yeah, totally. You totally off
1: book. <laughs> You're like, I know I'm going to have trouble pronouncing that word. <laughs> so I'm going right. to I'm gonna lean into a word that I know I can really sink my teeth into. So,
3: that's, right, that's right. I just turn over the script say, hey guys, check it out. Off book. No book.
2: In fact, watch this. I'm going to change my own line. Yeah. Yeah. I'm changing. I
3: I just did did that. that. Mm -hmm.
2: I just did that. You can't stop me. My name's on it. Oh
3: man. I mean,
2: so what do you like, I mean, obviously like they, they both must have their, their, their pleasures. Right. But if you had to choose, right. If somebody said, look, Nicole, we've been looking at your IMDB page and we noticed that it's like, it's really divided between this writing thing and this acting thing. And um, you're just gonna
3: have to choose mm-hmm. between the two. What would you do? Writing, 100%. Okay, why is that? Um, I think one of the things that I gravitated toward was that with writing, your words are representing you and with acting and voice acting is not necessarily the same, but with acting, you show up, you walk in and you just might not be the right person immediately. From, so from your face. Mm-hmm. but. With- when you stand by your words, when that's, you know, representing you, I think that that's kind of a nicer thing, at least for me um, and how I like to, to tell story. In fact, when I had my IMDb page, it used to list actress first, cause I had more credits. And so as a writer, a starting writer, I was like, okay. And one day I'll be a writer first on IMDb. So <laughs> <laughs> and then you achieved that goal. I did. So uh, if you'll excuse me, I'll have another drink. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, and, and
1: we, you know, executives and producers love to, you know, pigeonhole people. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's easy to do, but uh, I, I think probably as an as an actor, you're kind of limited by your physicality, like what you look like, what you sound like. You're like, I just don't buy Nicole as a serial killer, you know, or whatever. But you're like, I really want to play a serial killer, but you can write. A serial killer, mm-hmm. right? And you, you just somebody will read that script. They may not even notice the pay the name on the page, you know, yeah. on the title page, and go like, "Wow, this is intense. This is really cool." And then, like, how did this woman write this? You know, this thing? I, I would never have expected it.
3: Exactly, and like we talked about earlier, I think I think you get to play all of those characters when you're writing them. You have to get in that serial killer sick, sick mind the same way you would if you were acting them because you got to figure out what the heck they're doing. So <laughs> that's right. And
2: I hate when people like. Judge, I'm like, you know what? There's no way he could be a serial killer. And then I'm like, have you seen my basement? (laughs) (laughs) You have really pretty hair. You know what (laughs) what I mean? Like, what are they doing? Like, free judging like that? So, look, you've you've done on the acting front. um, You have done voice acting, uh, written for yourself. You've also done on camera, and you did on camera as a as a kid. Like, so what's the we you know we've talked to you know to other voice actors, that kind of thing, but but I think like it, it, your perspective on the difference between preparing for uh, a voice acting job mm-hmm. and the requirements on you as a voice actor versus live action i I think like help us with that a little bit like what's the what's the biggest difference between the two for you when you get
3: ready for that? Sure, well, not worrying about blocking is huge, right? because I think that that always at least as a kid. I would get really into whatever I was doing as the character. And it's like, oh yeah, I have lines too, but I'm washing these dishes and I'm doing a very good job at it, you know? So um, there's not that. Um, but otherwise, it, you know, you're breaking up the scenes the same way, I think. You're looking for the emotive turns that are within, you know, block of text and, and what the acting beats are. Um, so I think that's the same, and, you know, voice actors first and foremost are amazing actors you know, and then the ability then to improv on top of that and also to do incredible voices and animal noises and all of that, um, that is just even more talent and skill. So, you know, they're, they're kind of different beasts in that regard, but I think they start from that same acting character analysis point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we had um, just conversations about this before where it's, you know, there's a there's a thing that's happening in animation particularly in features that started to happen a little bit in television with like hey let's stunt cast voices and the, you know for me the thing that i've come to is who cares <laughs> you know what i mean it's like that nobody notices is like you know give me a professional voice actor who really knows how to use their voice mm-hmm. as a weapon right and just and and do things that i i would not have imagined Mm-hmm. Right, so you, you bring like, you know, a stunt casting celebrity. You bring Emo Phillips onto set. Okay, awesome. Right? I mean, I guess so. I don't know if Emo could quite pull off like Optimus Prime. You know what I'm saying? Um, but you get Emo Phillips and that's all you get. But you bring in, you know, like a professional voice actor and you could get Optimus Prime and Emo Phillips. In fact, you know, I'm willing to bet Peter Cullen does an amazing Emo Phillips. At least I would pay
1: real money to hear it.
3: I believe it. I would absolutely believe <laughs> it. Well, Peter, I mean,
1: Peter was, I mean, you worked with Peter a lot more than I have. Um, why don't you talk about that? He is such a legendary figure. And his he's one of those guys where you like, the voices that come out of him, you, it's just so unexpected. Why don't you, can you talk a little bit about working with Peter?
3: Sure, absolutely. So um, first of all, I love Peter Cullen and he's amazing. Um, and the first time I worked with him was actually not on Transformers, but on my friends, Tigger and Pooh, because he plays Eeyore. And he's done these roles for so long that he knows the characters. And so, you know, he will let you know if his character will not behave a certain way or say a certain thing. And so it always felt like a win when he'd read Eeyore in a script and say, that's Eeyore, you know. And you're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so, and then I got to work with him on on Prime and then also Rescue Bots. Um and uh, I just, when he says Autobots roll out, like everyone in the room gets chills. We all look at each other and we're like, we're here. We're the
1: hairs this. just stand up on your, I mean.
3: Incredibly. Yeah. I
1: remember the first time he came in on Prime and I never, I don't think I'd ever met him before. And he's this hes this little guy, with a little mustache and you're a very friendly dude. And then he gets behind that microphone and we're sitting in the booth and that that iconic voice just booms over the speakers, like, whoa, yeah, this shit's yeah. real.
2: Yeah, you know when the I went to see the movie for the first time, um, just hearing his voice was everything. It was it was half the movie experience to me. And just again, we were sort of now we're back to who we were as kids, kind of watching this stuff growing up and how we felt about it. Um, to the point where I think it was on the like the fourth. Transformers movie, I did like a little red team on the on the script. And there was only one instance of Autobots rollout. And it was, uh, okay, we just got our asses kicked and we're leaving and it's a surrender. And I said to Michael Bay, you can't do that. <laughs> I'm showing up at this movie because 12-year-old me wants Optimus Prime to say, Autobots, roll out. And like, what he means by that, the subtext is, let us kick ass and take names, right? Like, that's what we want. That's where the emotional heft comes from. And it's like, and we just kind of carry that stuff with us. And it's amazing how like sometimes, you know, again, it goes back to the stunt casting. It's who cares, right? It's that iconic voice performance, finding that character
3: in that voice that can stick with us, you know, Mm -hmm. forever. Absolutely. Right. right. And I mean, you've heard the story, right, of who he's based the voice on, um, of his brother who was in the military, you know. And I think I, I think the quote that his brother said to him when he was auditioning for this was, um, be strong enough to be gentle. And I, that has stuck with me mm. in this. And it's every time he does that Optimist, it's an homage to his brother. Wow. And I, I think that's really, really cool. That's amazing. I had never heard that before. I'd never heard that before
2: that's
1: awesome. Yeah. Well, and, and speaking of Peter, like Peter was someone who, you know, I grew up watching the G1 Transformers, uh, after school and when I was in high school. And then years later, I'm writing for another Transformers show. And there he is in the booth, like reading my, my dialogue and, and performing this character again. Have you had experiences like that with, um, writing for shows or or characters or actors that you grew up loving and suddenly they're there and you're collaborating with them uh, on a show?
3: I mean, Peter Cullen was definitely one of those. Working with Frank Welker, the same, <laughs> you know, same kind of experience. Um, you know, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Well, Maurice LaMarche, holy oh. cow. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Getting to work with him for the first time. I think I met him first at an event and I was just like, you're, you're so cool, I'm a writer, hi. And then we've <laughs> collaborated on a lot of shows since, um, but I probably could still greet him that way because you uh, have so much respect for what he's done. How about you guys? Like, what was your moment of like, I can't believe I'm working with this person?
2: Mm, um, Let's see, uh,
1: Steve, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, gosh, I mean, I I've been so lucky to have worked on, well, Early in my career, I wasn't invited to to voice sessions. Like uh, I started on the X-Men animated series and they recorded up in Canada. And so of course, you know, I was just a freelancer and I wasn't flying (laughs) up to Canada to go to voice sessions. Um, So it was many years before I I was invited uh, to attend uh, voice sessions. And, you know, like a lot of those early shows were working for Jeff Klein and Dwayne Capizzi and they have a really interesting Casting sensibility, and, and they've brought in really fun actors. And I'm blanking on his name. Oh my gosh, there, there's a character actor who was in um, uh, the Blues Brothers, and he was in. you know, Oh gosh, what's his name? He, he played the um, the the lead John singer the, the lead singer of the Good Old Boys uh, band. Um, what's his name? He was in Merle Haggard. Oh, this is killing me. But uh, he's a really distinctive character actor. He played a lot of villains uh, in movies, and he was in Men in Black, the series. And I got to work with him, and he he was great. And um, oh gosh, you know, uh, working with Jeffrey Combs, like you know, I grew up yeah. loving Jeffrey Combs in his horror films, and then Jeff and Dwayne cast him in Transformers Prime, and and he's he's fantastic. And I know Ashley, you've we've worked. Uh, you've worked with him as well, and, and Nicole has, and um, yeah, Jeff it, is it's awesome. Fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, for me, like one of the, you know, the rank had its privileges, and like the 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 silly, indulgent but awesome uh, choice that I, awesome for me choice that I made, like in uh, in Dota, was I decided to just cast a whole group of dragons as these icons of horror. So I had this little Hellraiser reunion with Doug Bradley and Ashley Lawrence and Andy Robinson. And I had, you know, Robert England and I had, you know, Cassandra Peterson, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And I had yeah, John yeah. Kassir, the crib Keeper. And it was just, and having them all together in a room was bananas. Yeah. And, and they're all so good and so pro. You know, and they're all like classically trained and like they all like can just do
1: all these things. And it's just, and they all kind of, they already knew each other from yeah. the convention circuit and stuff. So they already had a rapport. But
2: had they met you
1: at a convention, Steve? I think that's no, I'm the no? not, I don't think so. No,
2: but I mean, to me, that was the thing. That was, I was like, okay, so <laughs> this is pretty cool. Like this is, this
1: is kind of the best. Well, and then, so you've, you've in in your, in more recent years have developed and produced uh, shows of your own. Like, you know, uh, what was it like on something like the Rocketeer? And you're like, it would be so great to get Billy Campbell to, to come on the show. I mean, were you able to like, say like, I've always wanted to work with this person what's that experience like of being able to cast people and, and work with them that, that you've admired?
3: Sure. I mean, well, it's a dream come true. Absolutely. Um, and then for The Rocketeer, you know, from the get-go, I wanted to make sure that we had some representation of that original film because I was a big fan of that movie. And... Um, you know, made like home movies with the, with my friends trying to, you know, make and fly. Did your dad
1: make you a rocketeer jet pack to go No, no, I was, pack? I was older
3: then. I did not require one then. But, uh, An actual working jet I do have one now, so there you go. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, getting to do that, getting to write that dialogue and then design the character to look like him and hearing him voice that, that was also incredibly trippy. Um, but, uh, Super cool. And and the hard part, right, guys, is that when we're fans of someone and you're working with them professionally, you have to kind of keep it cool, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But our voice director, Jenny McSwain, knew that I was a huge fan of Billy Campbell and may have had a crush on him as a kid. So she made sure he knew that every single time we recorded. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Her biggest fan is here. Like, oh God. God.
2: Mm -hmm. Weirdly an icebreaker.
3: Mm
1: So. And then there's there's the sort of the downside for that. Like I, I, I've had a few, I, I won't name names, but and I don't expect you to either. But there are always the times when you think like, oh, I'd love to work with this person right. and they, they've agreed to come in and they're in the booth and it's just not working. And it's a heartbreaker. Have, have you had experiences like that?
3: I have, and like you, I won't go into detail, but it's just, oh, it's especially because a lot of times you'll have been the person who said we should get this person in and then you're there for the record and you're just, oh, no.
1: And it, it, it never has, it's nothing to do with them because they're the, they're the people they are. They're great, right. but for whatever yeah. reason, maybe they're, they're older and their voice just doesn't have the same quality that it had when you were a fan 20 years earlier or you know, whatever, or it's just in context, you're like, it's just not working. We have to recast
2: Mm -hmm. That happened with me with Troy Baker. I was just, yeah, no, Troy, you're just not getting it done. (laughs) I'm kidding.
3: Didn't happen. Never (laughs) happened. (laughs) Never happened. Well, how about, okay, is there a person you'd like to work with? Do you Hmm. both have like that kind of great white whale?
1: Kevin Conroy. Oh, Kevin Conroy. Yeah. He had, didn't he? Hadn't he retired for a time? You know, Batman always
2: retires and then he comes back.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never. I, I, gosh, I. I wonder if I could think of any. I mean, there are people, there are names that always come up for me when I'm, when I'm given the opportunity to to cast a show, or or mm-hmm. when they're uh, looking for suggestions to cast guest roles. Like I always have people that I love. To work with and that I love to hear and um, yeah, like you know like we've mentioned before Jeffrey Combs I, I I I I try to bring him up on almost every show I work on like I wish oh, you get Jeff Combs he'd be great yeah um, Jeff is awesome mm-hmm.
2: um I think like who else I mean like and just in terms of like the the wish list I mean I would also love to work with Peter Cullen except I don't know that like anything less than Autobots roll out would be like, would be like my, but I, I would have to hear, I'd have to make him do it. And then I would yeah, feel can awful.
3: Can you just say this first and then we can. Just <laughs> get it out of the way. That. I
2: just have to get this. Uh, can you please just tell me to roll out? Because <laughs> I've got the Autobot <laughs> shirt and if you could. Yep. yep. Um, I
3: have that, sw- have you seen that shirt where it's Peter Cullen and he's opening his shirt and it's the an Optimus underneath like the Superman pose? Like the no, Superman. Yeah. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's and those guys awesome.
1: like, those guys are fans, too. I remember at a, a session for Transformers Prime session, I brought in my original Optimus and Megatron toy, G1 toys, in their boxes. I, I kept the boxes, and I brought them in to have them sign. And Frank Welker was so excited to see that Megatron, and he was just like, oh, my gosh, wow, this must be worth a lot of money. Oh, this is, well, I'd be happy to sign it. he was like, Peter, get over here. Look, he's got the Optimus. It's in the box and everything. And Peter was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's like, isn't that weird when like you cast like people as the villains and like that's or you're just your your experience with them is that's who they are and then they come in and they're just the sweetest people in the world.
3: For sure, yeah.
2: And there's part of you waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? <laughs> just, just waiting.
3: Um, right. like, yeah, Wilker's you know, Frank a gun. It'll happen. <laughs> 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 no, he's also so good at uh, creature voices. It's insane. Oh. To watch him work, and he played he played both the grandfather and Butch the bulldog on Rocketeer for us, and could just you know flip between either one, and then you'd be convinced there was a dog in that booth. It was so good.
1: I, I remember geeking out with him. Like, like he did the monkey in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He did the monkey <laughs> screeches in that movie. Yeah, Man,
2: so that's amazing. amazing.
1: Was it the same monkey? Who
2: got his brains eaten in Temple of Doom. <laughs> Continuity, <laughs> right? It's <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> It'd be awesome if it were true. But. Amazing. So we we talked a little bit about the shows that you loved as a kid. Uh, oh. Are there shows as you've gotten older and and even today that uh, and they don't have animation? But since it's an animation podcast, we we'd love to hear if you have uh, cartoons uh, that you enjoy. What are the what are some of the things that are inspiring you today or or recently? that you enjoy yeah, watching.
3: Sure. Well, I loved Avatar, um, The Last Airbender, and that was just fantastic storytelling. I really, really enjoyed that. And um, I'm currently re-watching it because Brian, my husband, hasn't seen it. So we're watching that right now. Um, and then- Are you
1: watching it, by the way? Is that streaming or do you have the Blu-ray set?
3: I I have Blu-rays. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm a nerd. Um, uh, no, I have them too. <laughs> I, yeah, I have a
1: set as Avatar and Co- Legend of Korra.
3: Right, right, right. Yep. Because he watched Cora with me, but he hadn't seen the original. So now we're doing that. Um, but honestly, I don't wa- watch a lot of Imagine. I don't watch a lot of animation right now. The wine is kicking in, folks. <laughs> um, but uh, because it-, it feels like work, I can't uh-huh. really do it after a day of watching animatics and animation and writing it. So um, I really trend when I'm on a show, hardcore writing. Um, I tend to be on uh, watching reality shows. Top Chef is my jam. After a day, you know, of writing, because it's just okay. I watch these nice people compete, make good food, and be nice to each other. That's good. So, yeah. I mean, is the, awesome. is the
2: issue that like you spend so much time kind of sitting there working on it that that when you start to watch it, all of a sudden you're giving it notes. Exactly. That it's like, you know right. what, Paw Patrol? Like your sound is just so thin and empty. Like, mm-hmm. what's happening? Right. Yeah. What's didn't hook up? And that shot, so. That's right, you're not nearly as good as PJ Masks.
3: What's happening?
1: What's going on with it? That character is suddenly off model. I, we,
3: can we, can we call like, a retake on that? Oh my God, who flipped this model? Come on. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. And honestly, even with books sometimes, and I do a lot of listening on Audible when I'm, when I'm walking or when I'm cleaning. And you know, a book, sometimes I have to go to non-fiction when I'm working in fiction. Because it's just, again, it's like it's more mythos, yeah. more characters you have in your head, and you want to keep writing in the tone that you're writing in and not get into this author's voice. And so. Mm-hmm. What you was the last great it.
2: book you listened to?
3: Mm-hmm. It's Fiction or life.
2: nonfiction? Something you just really enjoyed.
3: Oh, yeah. Let I me mean, look at my Audible list because. Okay.
2: Fair. Totally fair.
1: I'm reading the excellent uh, Making of Alien uh, book by um, mm-hmm. J.W. Uh, J. Rinsler. Uh, and it is fantastic. It's a big coffee table book. And uh, I'm right up to the section where they're casting the film and getting ready to start production. But it's just such a great deep dive into the, the making of that movie. That's awesome.
3: I think uh, here's a good book. But what I really want to do is direct by Ken Coapis. That was a really fun book. Okay. Because uh, it's kind of his biography, but it's also like, you know, tips and tricks about directing. Okay. Um, which, kind of feel like some of it applies to writing or or running a room. Right.
2: It's all just sort of management and storytelling.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, Oh, The City We Became. I love that. So a shout out for that. By N.K. Jemsen. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) I could keep going. (laughs) <laughs> so no, can, I mean on my audible. Or are we right, are we doing a podcast? We're gonna, but, we're gonna
2: totally do the podcast on the You know what? It's so crazy because like this is gonna be on audible. So it was like audible on audible. Um <laughs> and by the way, while we're like recommending audible listens, uh I highly recommend paperbacks from hell, which is basically a review of um of kind of the mass market paperback uh trend like of the eighties. Like, just like, you know, V.C. Andrews and all of that stuff. And it's, it's just like this rundown of all of these books. And it's just completely insane. And it's it's totally fun. Um, it's like, it's, and it's, you're right. It's like, it's, when I'm writing, I kind of don't want to be in somebody else's fictional world. Yep. And I don't want to be looking at the thing that's like what I'm doing because all I can think about are all the things that I want to do to it to change it. <laughs> Because <laughs> I just see it. I just notice it. It's like, you know, right. I'm just there. And it's. you're right. It's too much like work.
3: And but then like there's the- this guy who like watches everything. See oh your list of stuff. I'm just like, how uh, does he have time? How does he do this?
1: I stay up late at night and, and watch things. No, I, I, uh, I'm I an omnivore. I just devour Media and, and books and, and movies and stuff and and but but I'm kind of like you like I, I like something that you said earlier about you like learning I think you said you like school you like learning and mm-hmm. and I do too and and I didn't so much when I was in school but now I I just love it I love watching documentaries I love reading nonfiction and I feel like you know it's it's I'm kind of feeding my brain in a way uh, there's no expectation of ever necessarily using any of it in a you know in any kind of project but you just never know like five years from now that you know that documentary I watched about the Hindenburg might suddenly be incredibly relevant to a show I'm working on like um, so it's uh I, I, yeah I like stretching my brain in different in different directions uh, and that's why you should
2: write off every bit of media you buy your entire blu-ray collection you know everything on audible all of it it's a write-off mm-hmm. because you never know.
1: It's called continuing education, as that's my CPA right. said. That's exactly right. <laughs>
3: do, you, do you think you'd ever write a book? Is that something that you want to do or have done that I don't know about?
1: I mean, I've done it. Um, oh, yeah, you have. You have written a yeah, book. Yeah,
3: I have.
1: Sorry, it's a, it's a novel. Well, a novel. Then, it's interesting. No? It's different.
2: You know, okay. that's a different set of muscles. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a very different set of muscles.
1: I, I, yeah, I worry that you know, I'm so used to the screenwriting muscle of that sort of terseness and sort of getting to the point and getting in late and getting out early and all that, like a novel, like, I don't know if I could stretch out and like, you know, spend the time, you know, like George R. R. Martin describing, you know, a feast for three paragraphs. You yeah, know? like I don't know if know, I can do that.
2: You know, George started in in TV.
1: Yeah, that's true. He was
2: a TV right. writer. I'll also tell you, like, my editor was like, you know, like, you guys can write scenes. <laughs> it's like, just like, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, your structure's great. It's like, your scene's great. Like, the dialogue's great. Um, so there are certain advantages, I think, Steve, that you would you would bring to it. And then, like, you know, you've got your whole insane imagination. You should just write a book about, like, sitting in a in a booth in a restaurant at a comic book convention. <laughs>
1: there you go. Who's joining me today? Oh right. my Well, gosh, well, the bartender is giving us the high sign. We've been taking up space at the bar now for over an hour. And I just want to thank Nicole for being so generous with your time and, and sitting down with us in the bar room and, and sharing your experiences uh, in animation. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Is there any, uh, any shows that you have on now or will be that have been announced that are coming soon?
3: Uh, well, Pacific from the Black is getting a second season. So I'm that's still, great. I got to write on that, so stay tuned for that one. Um, and I'm currently working on a Transformers show at Nickelodeon. So oh. maybe in a, in a bit you'll get to see that. And that's all I can say about everything else right now. But <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm happy to pick up the tab on this one, too, at the bar. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Is
2: it's it, a off. Yeah, it totally is. But <laughs> I got to tell you that Johnny Walker Blue is so super expensive. So yeah, a it's,
3: it's, <laughs> yeah,
1: we're just going to expense that one. Right. And uh, are you on social media? Is there anywhere our listeners can follow you on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that?
3: Thank you. Yes, I am. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is just Nicole Dubuque and it's Nicole Dubuque, Inc., like the pen, on Instagram.
1: I-N-K. All right. Inky.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you,
1: Nicole. <laughs> and, and thank you, Ashley. For- thank you, Steve. Thank you. And and thank you. No, thank you. you. Thank you, listeners. I also want to thank our sound engineers, Bill Ritter and Mark Rivera, who do yeoman's work making us sound good uh, in this time of pandemic and Zoom. Uh, Our producer is Natalie Miscali. Our co-producers are Peter Holmstrom and Zach Raggetts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and rating us in the Apple Store. It really helps us spread the word. Five stars, please. Uh, you can also check out Perfect. our sister shows uh, on the Electric Network a 430 Movie, in which a group of industry professionals curate a fantasy theme week of classic movies, The Inglorious Trexperts, the ultimate Star Trek podcast, and The Best Movies Never Made about films that never saw the light of a projector bulb. You can watch all these podcasts and much more on the free Electric Now video streaming app. Download it today at your favorite app store. You can also follow these shows on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And until next time.
3: That's all, folks. That's all, folks.